Hey folks, welcome back to the Eat Wild Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Ayers. All right, I got a bit of a treat for you in this episode. I'm joined by my good friend, Jeff Horsfield and hunting mentor. And I was able to talk Jeff into jumping on the podcast machine at the tail end of our whitetail hunt this year. We've been going to whitetail camp, or I've been going to whitetail camp for over 30 years now. And I think Jeff's closer to to 45 years or something like that. Anyways, um, Jeff's been a passionate and avid hunter. I grew up on Vancouver Island, uh, sneaking around the woods, chasing blacktails, and eventually it became his passion in life and, and explored all of BC and, and all the different species that you could hunt. And when I met Jeff when I was about 13, he took me on a hunt in whitetail country and he showed me how to sneak up on whitetails and how to quietly walk around the woods and how to create vantage and ultimately how to see deer before they see you. And that's been at the foundation of my process for hunting or my, you know, I think a big reason why I'm, I'm a confident hunter and, uh, and have success is that, that ability to retrain and, and be able to slide through it without really being observed by the critters around us. So anyways, Jeff is a, a wonderful human being and uh, told a great stories and um, has a ton of knowledge. And I'm so, so lucky to be able to share this with you. And just a little chat around the tin heater. We, we were in the, the wall tent around the, the fire at the end of a successful day of whitetail hunting. And I think you're going to enjoy it. Now, in this podcast, you'll hear me talk a little bit about how I kind of know where to hunt uh, for whitetail deer in this case. And so much of it is based on learning a piece of country uh, year over year that you come back to these zones. And, and as you learn a little bit more about the country, the next time you come back, you can apply that knowledge and be a little bit more specific around uh, where you're going to find deer or how you're going to move in and out of an area undetected. And it's so, so really, you need some way of documenting those spots that you found over the years where say deer bed down or the corridors that deer use to move around or the areas that are conducive to you hunting. So a big part of my process is, is using the iHunter app to put waypoints into the area that I'm hunting that, that draw my attention to where I need to focus my hunting. So I've got a couple of, uh, codes that I use. One is the, the sit here, uh, mark where, um, where I find good spots with good vantage to, to sit down. And then I've got other spots where I mark that are like hunt zones, like where I've seen deer cons- consistently. And if you look in my hunter app, there's like a series of, you know, obviously way, waypoints in a particular area that I've hunted consistently over the years. And, and over time, I'm able to link up my still hunts walking from sit spot to hunt zone to sit spot. And it's become an invaluable tool to, to manage that. And I'll talk more about that in the podcast. But anyways, the High Hunter app is a, is a critical tool for pretty much all aspect of hunting. And this podcast is, is brought to you by the good folks at iHunter. And um, yeah, let's get into this one. Hey folks, welcome back to the Well Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Ayers. And in this podcast, we want to share mentorship to learn how to hunt fish and gather wild food our goal is to reduce barriers and create an inclusive and welcoming community for all folks who want to learn how to eat wild so join us as we share stories ethics adventures and knowledge about a way of life that's rooted in eating wild
All right, we're recording, Jeff. We're recording. This is the start, then. This is the start. I'll join you. <laughs> what did you say about Lucky? That the once you acquire a taste for a warm Lucky. <laughs> Everything else has got to be got to be good, eh? Yeah, pretty much. The world's your oyster. Or something. This is not a cold, uh, warm Lucky, as a matter of fact, though. Yeah, this is this is cold. Maybe Lucky served at minus three is, I think, optimal. <laughs> if it was eighty degrees outside, maybe. Eh? Yeah, this is we're you know warming up by the tin heater in the wall tent and having a, a lucky blogger after a successful successful day of whitetail hunting. I guess yeah. you could say. But, yeah. All right, and Jeff, welcome back to the Well Podcast. Thanks, Neil. Yeah, and you, I, I don't know if you know this, but you are the most downloaded episode of uh, <laughs> the Ewald podcast is when we were talking about mule deer hunting. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, which, of course, you know, because you track these things, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I actually really want to get it to where I can, I got to share some of the, we, there's been a couple of fun hunting stories I'd love to share with you that are on the podcast. I got to get, I got to get you tuned up to how to listen to podcasts so you can <laughs> check them out. Anyways. Uh, this podcast, I, I was excited. I just thought you said something interesting the other day, which I thought was got me kind of thinking about, you know, why, why do we still hunt? And you were saying to Dylan, uh, Dylan was joining us on this white tail hunt, that he, he, he sort of been mentored to become a, a sitter, a tree stand sitter. Mm-hmm. And what were your thoughts about, you know, you go back to that conversation with Dylan about what's the best, you know, why be a still hunter versus why sit? Um, <clears throat> well, still hunting gives you the opportunity to wander around and learn things all the time. And I think that's one of the things that, well, it makes it more interesting than sitting in a tree. Once you've picked the tree, what are you going to do after that? And you don't get the opportunity to check all the other trees to see, oh, geez. Well, and if you do, you know, you wander around the woods looking for a better tree to put your tr- your tree stand in. <laughs> I've been through that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think the, the thing you said too, which, you know, at some point if you're tree stand hunting, you're just kind of sitting there waiting for, to kill a deer. Right. Which is. You're not really being proactive. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah. So maybe you could tell me, like, so I, and for a lot of people, I don't even know if people really know what still hunting is. And, and, and this podcast is about still hunting and, and sort of why we still hunt and how do you still hunt <laughs> and, like, what are the benefits of still hunting versus, say, sitting or, or spot and stock or whatever. But I thought we'd just take half an hour and chat about that and uh, share that story. Um, but break, break down for me what, what still hunting is. Still hunting is... So wandering carefully around through the woods looking for a deer with a gun in your hand. You can do it without a gun and it's just still walking, but you know. <laughs> Yeah. But it's not actually still. Like you're no, not, it's not still. Yeah. Although I guess it's the idea is that you don't disturb the quiet and the the stillness of the of the forest, right? So you've got to kind of be quiet with it and not move radically or Ah, okay. Yes, that's my. You know, I like I like the take on stillness. I mean, there's stillness in terms of your 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 uh, body. Hey, Pete, welcome back. It was a lovely foggy morning. Yeah, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. All right, Pete. 
we're you're giving away our secret spots and we're recording the Eat Wild podcast here. So <laughs> give give us twenty minutes here. Just come come and join us, one or the other. So Pete just got back from a sounds like a foggy morning of whitetail hunting, still hunting in the fog, but so the interesting part about when you say still hunting, I was I was saying this to so I took Bella, uh, Rob's daughter. She's sixteen and she's taken to hunting and and I offered to say, well, I'll take you out still hunting. I'll show you how I do it. And we went out last night and I was sitting there with her. We'd snuck into the first like main spot I like to sit and watch. And I said, you know, before we actually start still hunting, we're going to sit here for twenty minutes and we're going to let the forest go back to normal because there's a certain like if you're climbing up into somewhere. Everything just sort of shuts oh, down. Oh, yeah, like no matter how careful you are. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like the birds stop singing, the squirrels are on alert, and the deer know something's up because the birds have stopped singing, and the squirrels are on alert, and, and the deer have likely seen you anyway. So so waiting for the forest to go back to stillness when everything feels comfortable is sort of my starting point for progressing through on the process of still hunting. So how do you actually, like, okay, so you're wandering around the woods, being careful. Like, what are you actually doing though? Like, break break it down a little bit as far as like, what's your process for actually seeing a deer before it sees you? Uh, well, I'm wandering around the woods, but I'm not wandering. I generally I've got a plan at least as far as I can see all the time, right? And so, I like to try and cover the outlook of all the places that you can't see from places where I can get to. Without causing a big disturbance. Does that make any sense to you? Yeah. So I sneak around the little hills and bumps and valleys and stuff like that. You know, trying for a pattern that doesn't expose me completely to the world all the time. It's not so bad if you expose you expose yourself to what's behind you. Or, but I, I try to kind of keep in front of me kind of, you know, yeah, closed off. So, I, so it's a distance. Deer are a lot better at this than we are. So I know that. You know, I've got to be good enough to get within maybe, depending on the circumstances, you know, maybe 50 or 75 yards or maybe even less to get a chance out of me. Yeah. Yes, constantly kind of creating, you're kind of sneaking along to create vantage over an area you haven't already exposed yourself to. Right, right. And you you just keep doing that all the time, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of a reset every time you, eventually you're going to get, I mean, your silhouette or your sound oh for sure is going to expose over oh constantly it does right yeah so even sometimes like a couple steps will open up yeah a couple a whole, a whole new or even just a few more meters of forest right, that you yeah. haven't seen yet yep and that's that's the tedious part is you kind of like what you really should do is before you expose any more forest you should really look at that few square meters of forest you just opened up mm-hmm. carefully yes. You should, and I, well, that's what you try to do, but most of us, after you've hunted for a while, you, your mind kind of knows what you're looking for, right? Like if there's a deer shape standing there somewhere, you're liable to pick it out. Yeah. Or yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. It's a funny thing. <laughs> Much like... more than when you just first start, I think. Cause then you have, then people have to, you look, but I just, you, you know, basically most of the time. Just casually wandering around and looking, you know, I'm not searching diligently. Yeah, I think I might, I might be a little, I mean, the funny thing is, is like, it sort of works out like that. Like the, the times that I actually see deer, 
it's often I'm on I'm on the move a little bit, and all of a sudden I just see oh I either I usually often hear them I often hear them stand up, um, in their beds, and, and then they're standing looking and trying to figure out what the hell's disturbed them, and that's when I see them. Uh, and that's kind of the main thing. Um, and occasionally I'll pick up a bit of like motion or like a little bit of yeah movement, and I'll key into that and get focused. And but sometimes, and I'd like to think like. I get this happens more more as I'm hunting better in places that I know deer absolutely live and bed down. Right. Like I'll actually find them bedded down, and they're cause I know that's a spot, and I'll have the patience to really thoroughly look in the, the bases of every tree or on the little benches where they like to bed down, and really find them. But usually, in a place where you've been hunted before, you'll have planned this out before you get there. It's not like you're just wandering around the woods when you're doing that, is it? No, 100%. I mean, it's all like, it's entirely in my, well, it used to be in my memory for many years. And then I lost my memory when I got a phone and started putting <laughs> waypoints into my phone. Ah, uh, so yeah. Yeah. And now I have to look at my phone and I have these little marks where it says sit here glass here or deer stone here hunt like i got two, two different things i got sit here spots and hunt here spots and the hunt here spots are like look at this spot because that's where the deer are or deer zone yeah. and then the sit here spot so i kind of link my i still hunt my way to the sit here spot sit watch the hunt zone and then i still hunt across yeah. the hunt zone and then to the next sit spot and then i look over a spot and then i hunt through it and so we're making it sound by this though that this this having the knowledge of the spot and the patience and or you know knowing spots is important, which it is ultimately. Yeah. You know when you do it for years and years, but when you're going into a new place, then you're in the same predicament as these guys, you know, wandering out of Vancouver and looking in the bush, right? Yeah. So you you start at a different level then. Yeah. And you've got to you got to cover some ground or else you you could be stuck in a dead spot for the whole day. So then you're, you're forced to move, right? So there's sort of a point and I, and I wonder if you'd like, do you just kind of like when you, we were hunting a spot on our mule deer hunt and I, and I had a couple of moments where I was like, oh, this is a really good spot. There's going to be a deer here. And sure enough, there's a deer there. And there's a combination of things that I kind of key in on that kind of make me think, oh, it's, it just feels like I'm going to find a deer here. Hey, oh, for sure. Well, so for you, what does that look like? Or what, how can you describe it? <clears throat> um, well, on this hunt here, we're, we're hunting whitetails in the forest, right? Yeah. And they're pretty wily. So they won't often be just randomly out in the open. Even open, like, 100-yard visibility in the, in, the, in the bush even, right? Yeah. So you've got to sort of... Pick your routes where, you, where you're, you're continuously getting a view of something new and you're watching it carefully all the time. Yeah. So when I was, uh, like, there are zones though you sort of like start to look at, you're like, oh, like, well, we had this conversation as we were sort of driving to the spot today. We're like, gosh, this looks too nice for a deer to be here. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Which of course is exactly where you killed your deer today. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So, and... and that whole side hill where we've hunted for many years yeah. is the nice parts of it are, are, and the good parts are the same parts, right? Yeah. That whole hill that, with that, you know, some cover, some rock bluffs, 
mostly nice to walk in, not noisy. Yeah. And it's got the, uh, I think the big difference there, I think the reason why deer like it, is it's particularly open forest, which is great for still hunting. It's almost like a mule deer spot. Like if you were to say, oh, that's a that's kind of a mule deer country, grassy mm-hmm. and, you know. Well, actually, just we got the deer this morning. A uh, couple of mule deers that just walked by me. Yeah, yeah. So it's mixed country there. Yeah. But I think the thing that really makes it comfortable for, for whitetails is that sort of hip-high brush that's kind of consistent across that forest and snowberry and rosehip and there's some other brush there, which I'm not... So do you think that it's important for them for cover or, I mean, a lot of that is food, right? I think, I think they're comfortable in there because they can bed down anywhere in there and feel like they're, I don't know. I mean, it's food or cover, but, or it's both maybe. And, and they got lots of undulation in the terrain. That right, they can, right. That so they, they got like the too. terrain too. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> the steepness and the block bluffs and stuff, I think make them comfortable as well, which is a benefit for us. Mm-hmm. So I missed that deer today. I had a, I actually, I I saw a spot I like to hunt, and it's a kind of a gully feature, and so there's rock bluffs on either side of the gully in the middle, and the gully is just it's a deery spot, and it's one of my hunter zones. And I, I a couple of days ago I sat on it for a while, and just watched the gully, and I can see about I don't know 50 yards across, and maybe 80 yards down. I'm kind of looking for a deer bedded down or maybe a deer coming up or down the gully. It's kind of the rut time, so that could happen. And I give up sitting. I get cold, and I start walking up the the ridge, the bluff that I'm sitting on, and I see something on the other side of the gully. And as a deer, it gets up, and I, and I can see a little window through brush, through a fir tree branch and a little bit of brush in front of me. And sure enough, it's a, it's a bucket. It's a nice bucket. And he's standing there looking at me and he's heard me come up and he, and he's seen something. And I'm pretty sure his next step is going to be gone. Gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, but I've got a pretty good window and it's maybe 70 yards away from me. And I got full look at his chest there. So I, so I, and I've got my, I got a ski pole for a rest and I feel pretty good about the shot. So I take the shot and then he just disappears, like rips down the hill. And I'm like, that didn't feel like a, I felt like a deer that was ready to go. So nonetheless, I looked for him quite a while didn't find him and no sign of a hit um and as i read 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 to look at that shot and this is one of the problems with timber hunting is like they're in the timber and they're often surrounded by timber and surrounded oh, by and brush, brush and, and yeah, yeah yeah so as much as it looks like a clear shot as you're looking through it through your binoculars or your scope you, you, once yeah. you're down at the other end when you're looking at the where the deer was shot at you're looking up your flag and tape up on the ridge there it doesn't look like a very clear shot <coughs> but it's happened to me a number of times yeah um, anyways, that, so I mean that. Well, and guys do miss too, you know. They'll even, even I've heard guys like you sometimes do. Just, just yeah, just a few <laughs> times, a couple times this trip. I'm pretty good at it. Missing, yeah. And we, I mean, we got to say that uh, whitetails are generally are pretty easy to miss because often you're shooting at them in situations that are less than ideal. I mean, I try not to do it. I try to get them when they're standing still and they're in the boy right in the open. But sometimes you got to shoot through, you're shooting through a little brush or there's... A window know, or not quite the right yeah, angle the, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the distance, you know, between you and the brush and the deer and stuff like that, you know, you look through the scope and it looks fine. But if you actually look with the naked eye, you see there's a bunch of grass and yeah. twigs and stuff sticking yeah. up there. I think that's my biggest screw. I mean, that consistently is my biggest screw up. It's like not accounting for the brush in between me and the animal and, and it gets filtered out with the magnification of a... Yeah. 
anyway, I saw, I, so, hey, we missed, missed this deer. That was unfortunate. Anyways, I'm kind of working maybe back into that zone. I'm, and I'm going, I'm kind of hunting it from a different way. And the wind's good. It's feeling good. And I, I, I'm looking at this like rock bluff above me. And I'm like, oh, I should probably climb to the top of that rock bluff. And then, and I can peer back into this hunt here zone, this, this basin. But it's like, I'm kind of tired. Like I've been hunting hard <laughs> lots. And I'm like, ah, you know, I'll just wrap around the, wrap into, like I'll just side hill into the, into this gully and have a look. And it's kind of turnaround time anyways for me. So I kind of wrap into it, which I don't have to gain elevations, but lazy way of doing it. It's not nearly as quiet. My, my silhouette is exposed as I'm walking into the, making way more noise. Um, and the right way to do it would have been to climb up the, the rock bluff. So you got vantage over this draw <laughs> and you got, you can manage your silhouette because you're behind the rock bluff. You can manage your smell because you're outside of the gully. You can, and you can manage your sound because you're not crunching up the gully where the deer are. Well, sure enough, I wrapped into this gully and I pick up some movement and there's this great big beautiful buck on the far side of the gully just getting moving up out and I'm like, oh man. And it's, it's the same spot that I missed the buck the day. Like he's, he's 50 yards from where I, <laughs> I should have known better. Anyways, nice to hear. Oh, well, you'll smarten him up now. Maybe next year he'll be there. You know, yeah, maybe he'll be he'll getting old and senile by then. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> But I think that, so, so I was, and I knew it, I had that decision point. And I think that's one of the things with still hunting is you're constantly faced with these decision points oh, of like, decisions, yeah. yeah, of how to like, do I stop and glass some more? Do I, you know, do I take the easy route or I take the hard route that manages my silhouette, manages my smell, manages my sound a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a bit like some kind of Zen thing. It's a conflation of all the things that you've done right and wrong for the day, right? <laughs> yeah yeah totally it's just so it's it is it is like i i when it's going right like sometimes it goes really well and you you kind of you're sneaking along and you're you're managing all these factors you're being quiet and you see deer and when mm. you see deer it's great <laughs> the um uh and then you kind of go into the zone of like sometimes it works out you see a few deer and you watch them for a while and they feed off and you move along a little bit further and a few more deer, like you see a few more deer and it just could be just turned into such a great game of like <laughs> hide and seek. So, so one thing that we do is a lot of this, well, the hunting here for, for whitetails at least, we're almost always hunting places that we know. So we have a pretty good idea of when we're allowed to speed things up a little bit and a good idea that, you know, we've, we've, we're careful over this next exposure sort of deal. You know, there's a chance there's a deer there. So it's, you can't just go dead slow all the time or else you just can't cover the ground that you might need to to learn what you need to find out. And I think that's what comes back to our first question. Like why, why would you, like what, what makes, I mean, over the, over the lifetime. So how many, how many years have you been hunting here? He's still, my memory's not that good. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> early in the 80s early, Yeah, early 80s. Uh, and then... So that'd be 20, so about 40, 40 years is easily. Yeah, yeah, easily 40 years, and I'm not far behind you because it's been over 30 years for me. Um, and, like, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't, I mean, I, I'm always exploring new spots, like to find a new spot that might be good to yeah. 
but on the days that I think I'm going to try and kill a deer, I, I, I go to a spot where I kind of think I know, like, basically where every step that I'm going to take is right. going to be and where the deer should be. And it's, it's a benefit of that replication, right? Once you figure out a... Well, and basically the, the area where the, where the, I got that deer today was uh, a place that we've been keeping an eye on and discovered, like, 35 years ago. <laughs> And we're fortunate enough that the timber is scabby enough in it and that that they haven't nuked it yet. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit of a sad part about this whole experience is that (laughs) all these wonderful places where you find enough sort of mature forest to sneak through and actually still hunt. Right. That, you know, yeah, they're not really there anymore. (laughs) So so the exercise of still hunting, I mean, yeah, is is sort of limited to to having forest that allows you to wander through somewhat quietly yeah well so so on a bit of a bigger scale though even relatively open country like slashes that are getting to grow in a bit of brush and stuff in them at least like you can sort of sneak on a grander scale you can sneak around them right yeah try and keep trying to keep from skylining yourself and trying to pick where you think is a place where you should spend some time getting to so that you know if perchance there's a deer hanging around you've got a chance at it I always thought, like, I was lucky to grow up whitetail hunting as a still hunter because it was the thing that <laughs> gives you that foundation of, you know, once you can still hunt for whitetails, like, I mean, sneaking up on a mule deer is like nothing. Yeah, or mule deer and blacktails on the coast and stuff. <laughs> or, or, like, re- repositioning yourself for, uh, you know, an elk that's coming in and you want to just, you just, it's just natural to you, like, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take that route because I'm going to get busted. I'm going to yeah. go this little route over here and I'm going to, yeah, you know. Not, well, how, how did you, like, so how did you find your way to becoming a dedicated still hunter? <clears throat> well, I, I started out on Vancouver Round, so you had some mature timber, you know, even accessible to where I, I live nearby, you know. So mature timber, mature Vancouver Island timber on the good side of the hills and stuff like that it was just a beautiful place to stroll through. And the deer were living there. So there was either that or logging slashes. Or the, the, you know, the butt line between log and slashes and, and, you know, pretty nice standing timber. So the deer would be even feeding in the, uh, in the slashes and probably bedding and security in the, in the big timber, eh? Mm-hmm. So you get kind of a mix of both. But far and away, once you got used to the idea that the slashes, as well as the grassy fields around here, aren't full of deer all day. That's because they go into the timber someplace mm-hmm. to bed down. So after a while, you learn that, you know, you might as well just basically walk up through the slashes in the morning, keep your eyes open, you know, in case there's some dumb one standing around, but just head for the timber because the deer, if they are down in the slashes, as it get, gets light and the sun comes on the slashes, they're for sure going up in the timber, unless it's an amazingly quiet area that's never, you know, oh, even if nobody ever goes there, that's their sort of routine. Mm-hmm. So what do you, what, how would you sort of describe to somebody like, and this is something that I think about, and I, I know that I've, as I've hunted more, it's just something kind of weird. Like I, I don't see a lot of young bucks anymore where I hunt in my spots. I just see what I think are mature bucks in these handful of spots that I hunt. And, um, and it's not, I see, I see younger bucks in different spots. Um, <laughs> 
Do you do you have your do you sort of keyed in on that and and, and you're the looking for big bucks or looking for buck um, zones? I don't know. It's because the particularly the buck the big bucks go there. Although I mean, obviously they do go there. I kind of pick those spots because I got a chance of getting them if they are there. You know, in semi-open timber and, you know, in some places the, the well, blacktails down on the coast and that are are bedding down in thick, aldery sort of junk and that, and you're never going to get in there and get a shot at them if they're bedded down in there. Okay, that's interesting. So, okay, so describe then to me then what what is one of those sort of space, what does it look like a place that a, that a blacktail, and I think it's kind of similar, like a white-tail, blacktail, they're all kind of like the same Spot where the most comfortable bedded down. Yeah. Can you describe that to to folks who would be sort of where do I look for these spots that you know where I might find your bedded down? Well, if it's in the kind of country where there is the train available, they're going to be on a side hilly sort of thing where they can see down and feel fairly secure from above from attack from above, like you know, maybe rock bluffs a little bit and stuff like that. But definitely a spot where they can see. Um, I don't know, not, not hiding in thick cover in my experience, although you, you can maybe scare them into it and they'll stay there. Yeah. So I think that's kind of where I was going with like that. I find myself going to those spots that are like a little bit steeper, a little bit more higher up the mountain. I think, I think it just makes, creates more security for, um, for deer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I also think it makes it slightly more huntable for still hunters because, they, you can kind of take advantage. Oh, you're kind of, of going in and out of cover all the time because yeah, of the terrain and that. As yeah, long as you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think that undulation and the rock bluffiness and the steepness are are things that I think maybe attract the the more mature animals because it's the it's the best escape terrain. Yeah, I don't know, or maybe it's just where I can get them. Maybe that's yeah. it. Like I think it's more when you can get them because if you go and hunt in places where it's nice mm-hmm. uh, and there's still deer around, yeah. Like lots of places, they're bedded down in some nice little knoll where they got a good look all the way around them and stuff, you know. Yeah. And it's not savage or terrible hard to get there, yeah. but I mean, it's it's the card they've been dealt, right? Yeah, I guess they got to live with what they got, right? Yeah. 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 Most of them aren't going a hell of a long way from where they were born, I don't think. No, no, I guess not. And there are some nice deer in those sort of nicer opener spots, but I don't know. I find that, anyways. Okay, well, that's interesting. So. Yeah, I think that that's maybe one of the things that there is some, as a still hunter, you get, one thing you definitely get to do as a still hunter, you don't get to do as a sitter, like once that activity period's over, like in the first two hours in the morning, you might as well just get out of your tree and go home. I don't think those those tree sitter guys would tell you that. Oh yeah? Yeah, I think most of them would tell you, you better sit there from dawn till dark because you could get that deer anytime. Oh really? Like the movements might be more at the other times, but when a you know, especially maybe in November or something when they're, okay, yeah. when they're wandering around and they, you know, I think you got to try and take that chance in the daytime too. You know, <laughs> well, I think I if you're hunting on the, uh, the, the peak rut for sure. Yeah. yeah I think yeah. that would make a lot of sense. You got to stick it out. But so they keep wandering around after the peak of the rut, the big bucks are still, you know, wandering around for another couple of weeks at least. Yeah. Not, not with the same intensity because they're a little bit tired out and whatnot, but. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they can still remember how how this was. You know. Yeah. 
Yeah, those good old days of the of the rut there. Yeah, yeah, still look holding out hope there might just be one more doe that'll <laughs> take them in for a night. Well, and there tends to be too after the initial rut. So I, I I can't say I've ever been around any other place long enough, but on Vancouver Island, you'll have the the first part of the rut will be, you know, right along around um, Remembrance Day weekend or something like that, right? Somewhere in in the early November, uh, yeah. And, but then along about the last what it would in, for a long time in Vancouver Island was the last week in about the fifth or seventh or maybe the I can't, yeah, around around the end of the first week in December. You'd get them again. Oh, really? There'd be something happening again for for a day or two. Okay. Right at the last couple of days on Vancouver Round. Huh. Huh. So there's sort of some kind of a pe- another peak activity period. Yeah, yeah. There's the, the, sort of yeah, the second rut. I don't think it's a complete myth. I wouldn't go counting on it, though. No, I've definitely been tuned into like uh, the rutting activity for blacktail. I've been more focused on blacktail the last number of years now. And definitely seeing all of a sudden there's just deer wandering around it so October 30th to about now maybe I don't know yeah I sort of yeah even this this is getting pretty late they're, they're wandering around but there's they're not there's not much reading going on by this time I don't think yeah <coughs> yeah I used to only see it so when I lived on the Sunshine Coast there years ago for about 10 years the only time I'd ever see a buck would be on the fourth fifth or sixth yeah <laughs> and they just and, I, and that's just like coming and going from you know home i live yeah. i lived in deer country and never saw deer always tried to hunt like never never i couldn't put it together and uh and i would see the odd buck on my way to work at you know seven in the morning or something on the yeah. road chasing a doe or something like that that's the only time i'd ever see deer though it's like other than that they just you wouldn't even know deer existed on the sunshine coast <laughs> so so few deer and yeah and plenty of cover yeah yeah, okay, well, still hunting. So the other, so can you still hunt black-tailed deer? Oh, that's basically all I ever did. Still hunting black-tailed deer in the, in the big timber was, was a great way to go. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and when I was younger and first, you know, went up Kelsey Bayway and Nimkish and stuff like that, a lot of the logging had just been the valley bottoms, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe halfway up the hills or something like that. But there was lots of timber left on top. Mm-hmm. And the deer would be attracted to the slashes for all the new growth. But they'd be bedding in, in the timber almost all of them. You know, they, you'd find beds in the slashes, but I think it was when, it, during the night, they'd just take a nap for a while. Eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when it was time to go up the hill, there was places where, up, up island there, where there was lots of deer. Where you could look out along, you know, this line of slash tops and stuff for a mile or something. And at dawn, you'd see <coughs> 50 deer going yeah. in little groups of two or three up into the timber there, you know. Yeah. Holy shit. That long gone, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the timber's gone. Yeah. Because that was, there was still big timber above the slashes. Yeah. Huh. Well, and there's not much of that kind of terrain. There was miles and miles and miles like that when I was, you know, like in my late teens and yeah. Early twenties. Okay, so if you could try, so you're, if you're trying to fill your freezer, would you go on an alpine spot and stock mule deer hunt, or would you go on a timber hunt for a mule deer in a spot that has a few mule deer? Well, I would probably go on the timber because I know I'm pretty good at it, and I know they're they feel pretty secure and are not harassed very much 
by that kind of operation, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I think I'd have a, a better drop on them on in the timber. Yeah. The Alpine is lovely and everything, and I love doing that wander through it and spotting, scoping, and looking for miles around, and then seeing if you can ever get over to that spot, let alone get to a deer that's over there. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, for sure. I I think I so so my well Big Buck Mountain right. Um, uh, I don't, I've never killed deer on Big Buck Mountain. I've seen so, I've had so many amazing hunts and I've been, I've taken lots of people there and they've killed deer. So it's not like it's been a bust every time, but like I've had a chance at some very big bucks on that hill and just couldn't put it together. Yeah. And I've also had, I, I think we've. But I think like I think we've killed four deer on that, and I think I've probably hunted it every year for thirty years or something, like a long time, <laughs> like not thirty years, maybe twenty five years. Since I was about nineteen or twenty, you told me to go there, um, and it's <laughs> whereas that spot that you and I go timber hunting, um, you know, in the interior there, um, like we went in there blind, kind of, and. We shot two bucks. We went back the next year. We shot two bucks, and back then we did five years straight. We doubled up on bucks in a, sort of the same general timber hunting zone, and yeah. and I've since gone back sort of here and there every other couple of years. You kind of go somewhere else, and you pretty much always get a deer. Like, and yet, like trying to replicate that in the Alpine is just about oh, impossible. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Did you guys used to get deer consistently back in on Big Buck Mountain? Like, did you guys get, were you able to kind of go there and come home with deer every year? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Maybe not, you know, one each or anything like that, but a couple of deer. Yeah. But, I mean, we didn't do that consistently for years and years or anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not like, well, white tail hunting up until about, few years ago <laughs> yeah it has been a bit of a i mean not to i mean i'd like to wrap up this podcast on some positive outcomes but um yeah it has been a bit of a change i mean this is this was a t- like i like i mean we saw a few bucks on this trip but man it's there's not a lot of deer here right now no and it sure makes still hunting hard a test of patience because <laughs> you're still going through the motions of like really quietly working a piece of country and looking and doing the hard work how how long can you actually still hunt for before you you're just exhausted, like both mentally and physically? Oh, I don't know. I'm just I'm not doing anything mental and physical. Well, physical, you know, but I'm I mean, just strolling around the woods, you know. <laughs> okay, maybe I, maybe I just like more deliberate yeah, you, about you, my. I think you're much more intense about it than me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I get tired of just like picking up my binoculars. I gotta look at that next piece of country. I just revealed some more country. I'm looking at it, but <laughs> but it's neat when it works out. I mean, well, and I find that you know. That all that carefully looking around with the binoculars and everything is all very nice, but almost all the deer I see, I, I come around a tree or a rock or something, and they're standing right there. You know. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> and it, yeah, but, but then, then, but of course, then, like today's scenario, we're like, man, if I had just done the right thing there, if I had just gone up to the top of that rock bluff and peered over my binoculars, it would have been a mature white-tailed buck bedded down on the next ridge over i would have seen him and there would have been a good chance of getting him right so <laughs> so if you do it i mean that sort of seems to be like what it comes down to for me like when i yeah like for sure i i blunder into deer and blunder into well blunder i would say i sneak quietly through the woods and pay right. attention and then i see yeah. deer make yourself 
available for them if they happen to be there. <laughs> yes, make yourself available. But where the big, like the, the mature bucks, it does require that sort of elevated level of focus to try and catch them before they see you. Like, I find that for sure. Like, yeah. Okay, so, so whitetail hunting. I mean, I've shot a few decent whitetails. Uh, but I've never been a trophy hunter. You know, if I happen to fluke into a nice one, I'll shoot it. But, but you know, I like eating whitetails. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've never passed up a nice three-point because I was holding out for a five. No, no, and the only real reason why you should shoot a five point or a four or five mature, it's just that there's that mature status when they when they kind of get yeah, twice yeah. the size. Yeah. And yeah. so if you're like a if you really like whitetail and you only have to shoot one, you should probably try and shoot one of the bigger ones because they do produce like, yeah. uh, you know. Oh, they are some yeah. There yeah. is a big a big step there. A big step between a two year old to a four year old is a significant step <laughs> in terms of meeting your freezer. And I, that's always been my like I, I as I because I do love eating whitetail. It's one of my, you know, that's my favorite. I'd say so. And a spike black, well, it's great. It's definitely great. Yeah, it's only half as big. It's only half as big. <laughs> so it's worth trying to get the, so the, tuning up your focus to try and get a bigger yeah. deer. But I, well, I, I, I think do, you should work, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put off shooting those little guys when you're learning though. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 I thought I was, I was kind of, so we did have some, a friend in, uh, who joined us in camp there. She got her first buck this year. That was pretty great. And she was like, oh, it's just a little white tail. And there's a camp full of like dedicated deadly whitetail hunters have been hunting for three or four days and haven't killed a buck yeah. and she's got the only buck in camp she's oh it's just a little two-point i'm like that's looks good to me <laughs> looks pretty good to me if we had a whole pole full of those we'd think we're pretty good whitetail hunters it's gonna make change the difference between stew and soup for you and <laughs> the other guys <laughs> yeah yeah totally totally okay i got some questions for you we uh, we do have some sponsors for this podcast so i gotta ask you a couple of questions um Speaking of which, so one of one of our sponsors is uh, Beer Beer. They're a, they're a, 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 a microbrew out of North and B E E R E. And uh, Matt Beer is the owner and brewer, and uh, he donates beer to our conservation causes, and we do events and stuff like that, and sends us on our way with beer occasionally. But okay, so I'm changing up the questions. There was a different. The new question here is that: Can you tell me about an experience, a great accomplishment in your journey as a hunter? that ended with a great beer that you're most proud of or something, you know, like <laughs> that the beer was great at the end of the adventure. Well, you know, in room, more remote hunting, uh, often you're going to make repeated trips to pack something out, eh? And so when you're packing things out and often this will be earlier on in the season when the weather is pretty nice and hot still and everything, you know, and you got to get this done. Yeah. So you're giving her shit. And so you put a couple of beers in the creek near down near camp and you go to Dury. And when you come back down with that last load <laughs> and you go and get those beers out of the creek, there's nothing better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that heart, that, that, there's actually a great shot. I think it's of you and the jet boat. And we got the elk in the jet boat, <laughs> and uh, it's a beautiful six-point bull elk, and we packed it off the mountain. Yeah, we've done it. And uh, and you, we got the jet boat on the on the back of the campsite of the river, and there's you're standing in a pile of dead elk bits and big old set of horns and a sunset in the background and a lucky in your hand. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, pretty great. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, you do a lot of work and everything for those ones, right? Yeah. Give me that beer. <laughs> Um, yeah, okay, okay, so that's perfect. I mean, that, to be is the, probably the most well, well, usually we have a six-pack Coke in the back of our truck. So yeah, those, right. How do those, you have to slurp down the six-pack of Coke and then have a beer. And have a beer because you're so, you're just so depleted. Yeah, All right. right. Okay, the other question. Gives you that power shot, too. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Okay. Another one of our sponsors is, uh, is Seek Outside, and they make the, that teepee tent we have over here. It's oh, yeah. wood stove, and yeah. they're like, there's ultra light tents. Um, came in handy this weekend because we had uh, another, our couple friends, Christine and and uh, and John. Um, they're both parkies. They work with Rob and I, so they were in the valley. We said, "Well, come on, come for dinner with us." And anyway, they showed up, and he was like, oh, like minus five or something that night, and they were planning to sleep in a pup tent. So I said, "Well, there's lots of room in our." 12 man seek outside teepee tent so yeah. come on in and, and throw your bunks out and anyways they've been here for three more nights because they were just this is way better yeah, right. <laughs> sleeping in a pop tent anyway <laughs> so the, these tents are, are i call it, they're just game changers for late season hunting like if you if you can't you know afford to pack a wall tent and have storage and all that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. you can get what amounts to a hot tent set up that fits inside of a blue blue you know rubber made tote right and yeah, uh yeah. And be pretty comfortable in, in these late season hunting conditions. But so, in your lifetime of hunting, can you think of an example of a game changer piece of gear that has really revolutionized how you hunt, or maybe helped you with success, or just made you more comfortable along the way? Oh, well, I think you already covered it. Wall tents and tin eaters, man. <laughs> Compared to when I was a kid, we were going out with a piece like a plastic tarp, you know. And it wasn't that pleasant. <laughs> you know, you get this with the wall tents and the tin eaters. I mean, it's, it's some ways better than home. <laughs> He's pretty comfy. Yeah. Especially if somebody else gets up and makes the fire and brings you a cup of coffee. Yeah, well, even if they don't, if they were out going to gonna go out from underneath your pup tent out in the rain to light a campfire so you can stand around and wait for the, the coffee to happen or something. You know, it's, <laughs> it's a huge... It's a, Wall tents and or or some reasonable facsimile where you can actually live in them, like broadens your scope of being able to do stuff so much, right? Yeah. Because like you just have to go home. I I've gone on lots of trips where we just gave up, couldn't do it. Yeah. Back when we were living under pieces of plastic or you know shitty camping, yeah, uh, you know backpack tents and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. And we never had great equipment either. Well. It wasn't great equipment, but yeah, the, the, the game changer is the wall tent. Oh, the wall there. tent is definitely. Well, and just the or so, some so, reasonable facsimile. And the social aspect of it too is amazing because yeah. all of a sudden everybody's got a place to congregate. There's not, I mean, even around a big fire, like it's, we had a great couple of fire nights here, but yeah, like yeah. it's, you know, it's, you can come in here in the morning, have a cup of coffee, put your boots on, have a bullshit yeah, yeah. and hang out. And then, you know, everybody's warm and cozy and then. You know, you're on your way. Like, you're not, you know, it, it's it's fantastic. It really is. So, yeah, hot tent living is, is great. Okay. Yeah. I think this is the last question, Jeff, and it's it's one that I'm, um, so this, our podcast is also sponsored by um, the BC uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. They're a conservation organization, and they do, they try and advocate for protecting wild places and the animals that live there, right? So I'm curious, maybe you could tell me, actually, uh, uh, well, maybe you could ask two questions. First one is, tell me about, is there a hunting adventure you'd still like to try and knock off while you still can? 
uh, that's in British Columbia that takes you somewhere cool. Is there anything left on your bucket list? Well, I mean, you can get pretty old and, and, and battered and stuff and could still go on boat trips. Yeah. Although they tend to not, I, I kind of like to wander around mountains, right? And, or even, even here where it's, it's hilly, but it's not, you know, killer. And you're up in the timber hunting and, and you know, uh, but, but one that I'd like to go on. I don't know, probably just about any of them doing. A guided sheep hunt up in the Castier country or somewhere up there would be nice. <laughs> Except riding horses is terrible. I guess so maybe that old it maybe that's not someplace with a lake. Someplace <laughs> with a lake. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm never getting on a horse again. <laughs> no, no. Pretty neat. Okay, what about reflecting back on one of the big adventures you've done somewhere in remote first life? What was maybe one of your most fond memories of uh adventure you've been on? So years ago I did some aluminum welding and stuff. So I decided that what we needed, we heard, we heard about, if you go up the, uh, blah, blah, uh, in the casters, you can go pretty easily without, you know, a million dollar jet boat up to the first range of mountains. So we did that. And, uh, it was, we didn't shoot anything, but it was just a great trip. There was sheep all around us all the time for like 10 days and we never got a chance at what we were absolutely certain was a full curl ram although with more years around me i'd say in that a couple of them were probably legal if you wanted to be real tight <laughs> but we didn't we we never even you know it was it was unreal just observing them they were all over the place all around us all day for days and days and days and days and while we were there, we were camped down about as close to the river as you could get and still be up in the Alpine or, you know, in a place where it wasn't near vertical. Yeah. And so th there's a big grassy slope area there. And an outfitter came in from the other side somewhere, passed through the mountains. I don't know how he gets there. Yeah. But with a whole horse camp and all that sort of stuff, right? And they obviously, the, as soon as they got there, they noticed our pup tent down there because it's, you know, your bright orange pup tent and that yeah, brilliant yeah. green, right? Yeah. <laughs> so they were really, and we, we had a really good spot zoned out that I undoubtedly completely screwed them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so after a couple of days they, they had been there, the one guy walked down the hill, down a bunch of gullies and stuff like that to keep out of sight and everything and came down to say hello, you know? Yeah. And... <laughs> And find out how long we were going to be there and whatnot, you know. But they never harassed us or anything like that. I got to be, you know, real clear with that. They were great guys. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we had to leave after another couple of days anyway. So they, they, they got, their, they got their spot. They back. moved yeah. in and yeah. Yeah. Then, yeah. And those sheep weren't going anywhere. They just get wily. They don't leave. Yeah. Yeah. And you could literally, I mean, not quite walk up to him, pat him on the nose when we first got there, but anything but that. Yeah. You're, you're, they couldn't have cared less. Yeah. But unfortunately, we couldn't couldn't put our, our our binocs on a pair, set of horns that were absolutely for sure legal. Yeah. There was lots of those ones that, that's probably be a ring, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I don't know, we, we didn't shoot them either. Yeah, it took me a long time before I was, like, comfortable counting count rings. Like, a lot of, like, 10 years out, sheep yeah. hunting before I yeah. was, like, I'm pretty comfortable counting rings. Yeah. And, 
Yeah. But. I mean, geez, the last thing I want to do is do all that work and then shoot one that's illegal. Yeah. Well, it's not, that's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> a lot less than. Yeah. Cool. Right on, Jeff. Well, I'm going to let you get back to drinking coffee or beer or whatever's next oh, yeah, for the okay. day. But hey, thanks for hanging out and, and sharing your knowledge. <laughs> and, and, uh, no, it's been a... Yeah, I hope there's something worthwhile in Well, it's, it's amazing to see, like, as we're hanging out here and we've got this sort of changeover, got, like, all these new hunters coming in here and everybody asks you the same questions about how you do it and, you know, how do you sneak up on these things and what it's still hunting all about. And um, I'm glad you can share it with, um, yeah, with all, all our community and our friends and I really appreciate you teaching me how to do it because, um, yeah, it's been a fun journey. So, thank <laughs> right you, well, it's, it's been fun having somebody with your ambition to drag me out to these places. <laughs> yeah, well, keep doing it. For, yeah, okay. Maybe a caribou hunt in the cast here is what you're, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, something like that. Okay. Okay, Dale. Thanks so much, Jeff. Well, that was a lot of fun. So kind of Jeff to spend his time and share his knowledge with us. If you want to learn how to still hunt, you can take advantage of our online course. I spent about a year building uh, an online course with videos and lessons and discussions around how to be efficient in sneaking through the woods and how to prepare and plan and how to read terrain and how to read the different uh, 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 forests and vegetation that you have to manage in order to sneak around and get closer to animals. So whether you're a, a rifle hunter that's closing the distance on a spot and stock, or if you're still hunting for whitetails or blacktails, or if you're a bow hunter and you want to close the distance to to get that shot, I think it's well worth the investment and the time to take one of our online courses, our, our Learn to Still Hunt online course. We've got several other online courses. I think they're just a long-form discussion on how to do this stuff, and they're super good value. I think the Still Hunting course is about 18 bucks, and you can, you can find it on our website, eatwild.ca, along with our other online courses. So hopefully you find those useful. Either way, keep listening and look forward to your comments. Thanks so much.